You guys can be seated. Yes, please. Thank you. We have a big day today. We are starting a new series, aren't we? Yeah? How many of you were here early enough for a free latte or some biscuits and gravy? The ones who will be sleeping. Biscuits and gravy, man, it's hard to turn down. The whole month of November, we'll have free lattes for you, so show up and get caffeinated. You'll need it today. Uh, Over the next hour and a half, we are going to really dive in um, (laughs) to what God has for us. Listen, we are in a a month-long series about the Shema. That's our vision as the orchard. That's the, the, the vision of who we are. We are to love and love. We are to love and love. One more time. Love and love. That's who we are to be. And the Shema, listen, this was this prayer that they would pray every morning and every night. I'm going to read it out of Matthew 22. Read the account of this, and then we'll get to our teaching. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, that is the Bible, tested Jesus with a question. This is a trap. It's a test. He says, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Now, there's a lot of them, isn't there? Which one do you choose? Honor your husband? Is that one of them? Some of you are like, I have to write that down. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The entire Bible, law and prophets, is summed up in the Shema. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love others as yourself. All the confusion, all these back here numbers of, oh, what should I do? Love God. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love others as yourself. Jesus says it's all summed up right there. This was the central teaching in the Jewish faith. Do you know that? This is, listen, this is the thread that runs from the beginning of it all the way to where we are today and to the end. The Bible has a common thread. Every morning, the Hebrew would, they would get up and they would pray the Shema. And every night, they would go, before they went to bed, they would pray the Shema. And Jesus, as a boy raised every morning and every night, he would pray the Shema. And Eli, my son, I am raising him. And the first thing he learned spiritually was this prayer. And every night, he prays it. And in fact, he's very excited because today he told me this morning, Daddy, it's my first sermon. So buddy, come on up and help me. You ready? Come on up. Give me that microphone. Where'd he go? All right, so it's, 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 it's his first sermon. He's excited today. Are you ready? All right, what do you have to tell you? Can you tell everybody what we say every night? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and thank your others as yourself. There we go. What do you know? Good job, buddy. I'm proud of you. You can go to mommy. His first sermon. Hey, it's not a bad one to start with. Jesus would have recited that every morning and every night. It was the heart and soul of the faith. And Orchard, we want this to be the heart and soul of who we are. That if anything else is said about us, may it be said, we love God and we love people. It's so vital. We're going to pull aside for the whole month of November. 
See, we want this to work its way into the marrow of our faith and our church so that our community knows us by these things. November seemed like the right time to do this. It's getting colder. You know, you can bundle up, put a turtleneck on, get some hot cocoa, get in here, get some, get some, some good food in the mornings, and then we're going to just dive into the deep reality of what it means to love God with these different parts of who we are. And so all month, we're going to look at what does it mean to love God with all my heart? That's today. Next week, what does it mean to love God with all your soul? The deepest part of you. Then, then your mind, and then your strength. And what does strength mean? And what does it mean to love others as myself? We're going to look at all these things. This is so important because this is the DNA of heaven. This is like the midichlorians of the kingdom of God. And we want the DNA of heaven to be part of us. And so that when we go out, the DNA of heaven, of the kingdom of God, the people get to see that. Wouldn't it be great if the church was known for those two things instead of everything else? Wouldn't it be great if we were known that, man, they really love God and they love people? Could you imagine that? The impact that would have. Well, our reputation is so far from that right now, isn't it? Yes, amen. Feel free to, to converse with me today. Unless you disagree. <laughs> Listen, we want to be all in on loving God. That we would say, God, all of me, all of my heart, all of my soul, all my mind, all my strength, all of me, God, everything I have in this life, every part of me, may it be yours. That's what this is about. Giving ourselves to God in an amazing way. It's going to be a beautiful and clarifying sermon series. And I would encourage you, I know there's a lot of things going on and a lot of reasons not to come on Sundays. I would encourage you to make November. Come see the DNA of what God is doing here and become a part of what we're doing as God has a movement in this region. So let's, let's jump into this. Let's look at the, the Shema. It's, a, it's found originally in Deuteronomy 6, and then it's, the other part's found in Leviticus. And it's mentioned in Matthew 22, Mark 12, and Luke 10. Jesus talks about it in all three places. And each time, it says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, the Greeks had many different words for love. Do you know that? We have one word, which is why we say, I love my wife. And I love sushi. You know, you know, we have one. They had so many because they clarified it. The word that they used here in the Greek is agape. And you've probably heard this. You guys heard of agape love before? Yes, it's, it, we've heard of this perhaps. Agape is an interesting and epic word. It's an epic love. It's a big love. The scope of agape love is so big, it usually is the love that we describe how a parent loves a child. I didn't know this until I had kids, that parents love their children much more than they love their parents. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Agape is such a big love. It's a parental love, or it's God loving us. And God loves us with this huge, unconditional, epic love that overcomes our sins when we are in Jesus. Listen, this is an amazing love that surpasses all things. And I can understand how God would love me with an unconditional agape love. But what does it mean when the Bible asks us to love up, to love God with agape? How do we love God unconditionally? What does that look like? 
what does that mean? Because the conditions are so strange. Does, does this mean that whatever God does, I love him? Un- unconditionally, whatever you do, I love you. Yes, but what does it also mean that whatever I do, I still love him? That it's unconditional with me. Whatever I do, no matter how I feel, I love you. No matter what's going on around me and the circumstances I'm in, God, I love you. There's an unconditional, unconditional principle here that no matter what the world throws at me, no matter how I'm feeling, no matter the circumstances, no matter my doubts, I still have a love for God in those things. It's agape. It's bigger than my emotions. It's bigger than my circumstance. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, uses agape to describe what he believed was the biggest and highest love we could ever achieve. A, self, a selfless love. Selfless. That I don't get something out of this. And oftentimes that's what it is with your kids, right? It's selfless. And that's often what it is with God when he loves me. It's selfless. But for me to love God selflessly would say, God, your way, not mine. All of me for you. I put myself aside for your purposes. I was created for your design and for your way. The word agape was used by Homer centuries before Christ and it meant affections, the affections of my heart, the things that I have a a felt affection or loving intent toward. And agape truly is this big-hearted, selfless love that bears out in my affections. Our affections are an indication of our love. My affections, if I follow them back, they, tr- they lead me to my agape. They lead me to where I have my agape. Affection should always turn into action. When you love someone, you do something about it. Remember the days, and we'll talk more about this later, but do you remember when, listen, just think of all the silly things that you have done in the name of love. The things you've made or bought <laughs> or the, the grand gestures. Affection has action. So we must pause and ask ourselves. We must seriously pause this morning and ask ourselves, how is my affection for God? How passionate, how active, how deep, how strong. Does my affection for God have any action to it? If they followed my affections, would it lead to an agape for for God or for something else? Bottom line, do we love God or do we just love the idea of God? Your affections reveal you. Our affections show us. As C.S. Lewis described this selfless love, do we offer this selfless love to God? Oh, Lord, all of myself, all of me to you. I am yours. Everything in my life is yours. I love you with agape. This love has priorities. It says, God, you first. God, you and everything. God, you and everything. And as I have studied this, I've, become, I've come to see that for us, the enemy of agape, the opposite of agape, is not hatred. 
In a loving relationship, the opposite of agape is not hatred. The worst de-evolution of agape, the opposite of agape is indifference. In a loving relationship, indifference is the tragic leftovers of an unattended agape heart. There's nothing worse than indifference in a loving relationship, is there? You ever been in a relationship where your heart was engaged and there was love and you were received with indifference? It's painful. It's tragic. This is why people say, give me something. Get angry at me. Throw something. Yell at me. Send me away. Anything. But don't just do nothing. The human heart was not made for indifference when it comes to love. And in fact, there's a, there's a psychological study that I, I, I did a lot of research in this, this week called Tronic's Still Face Experiment. You ever heard of this? Tronic's Still Face Experiment. You guys don't come across this in your normal everyday? Just, just Wikipedia searching? It, it's, it's fascinating. The experiment involved a child and, and a parent, father or mother, interacting together. And they had video. I watched these videos. I watched one after another because they had the video for the you know, experiment. And the mother or father would be there with their baby or their, their child all the way up to elementary. And they would be interacting with them. And then when there was a cue, some sort of cue, the mother or father would turn away, turn back, and offer them still face. Still face is your face at rest with no emotion. They could have eye contact, but they could have no emotion to their child. And you watch the camera as the children are used to playing, and they look at it, and they, they do a double take. They immediately recognize this is not part of what we do. Video after video. It was so sad. Each child begins to do things just to get attention. They would laugh, they would, they would smile or squeal, and they would do something fun, overwhelming, and, and they always would look back to the mommy or daddy and just this concern. And the, the playful squealing or the trying to laugh or the pointing or trying to get anything to interact would soon turn to, to whimper. The baby would begin to squeal and turn away. A baby, the babies would not look at their parents. They couldn't, they would just turn away, and, and within two minutes, the babies were crying. The older kids would begin to push and even hit mommy, daddy, anything for a reaction. In each child, the blank face, the still face of their parent in a loving relationship ruined them. Just an aside, this, 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 this leveled me this week. When my son or daughter looked to me and asked me a question, I'm on my phone, what face do they see? Still face. Just remember that. The parent would turn away and then re-engage their kid and it would be a good, they would, they would make up and they would continue to do their thing. It was amazing to me. How many of us, when our kids or loved ones, when your children or loved ones need you most, need you most are still-faced? Not many of us. We don't do this as a practice, right? We don't just give people still face. But how many of us, when it comes to our affections with God, give him an indifferent still face? by our lifestyle. In a loving relationship, how often does all he get from us is a stoic stone face? Loving relationships were not made for indifference. They were not made for still face. 
Indifference in terms of a loving relationship is tragic, and indifference in terms of a spiritual relationship is just as tragic. He is our beloved. He sent his son Jesus to die a criminal's death on the cross to give his life that we could have access. He is our beloved. He is our father. And oftentimes in my life, in my lifestyle, I will give him a different still face. That's not, how he, that's not loving God with all of our heart. And we might say, no, 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 no. I go to church, I even throw some money in the tithe and, and I, I go to a growth group. And Orchard, listen, you could be going through all the motions of the religion while indifferently looking at your Savior. He might get our half-hearted activity, but what he wants is our wholehearted affection. Given the choice and relationship, what would you choose? What he wants is our whole heart. And so, so let not your activity be your justification. Do you love God with all of your heart? Does he have your affection or does he get your indifference? Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8, he said, these people honor me with their lips. They honor me, but their hearts are far from me. And I had to ask myself as I'm studying this, during my worship, during my, during my singing time, when I'm singing, are my, are, are, my, are my lips actually honoring him while my heart is far from him? Is my heart doing something else? Am, am I engaged other places while I'm singing my heart is not there. When I'm praying with him, is my prayer, I walk into the, to, to prayer and just go, here's what I need. See ya. Are my lips honoring him and my heart far from him? Do I listen? Do I get in his presence and have a relationship? I want my heart to be fully engaged. Where are our affections? Do we love him with all of our heart? These are the questions we have to ask ourselves when it comes to this. It's very challenging. Moving on, we read that we are to love God with all of our heart and we have to come to terms with something when it comes to our heart. The heart is what? It's emotional. Some of us don't even like that word. We're like, ugh. By the end of the sermon, you all have cried if you love Jesus. Kidding. I just want to see if you guys are awake and your emotions there. <laughs> Humor is an emotion. Stick with me. Listen, the heart is emotional, isn't it? The, it absolutely is. When God told us to love him with all of our heart, he knew what he's asking for. He knew. He wasn't like, oh gosh. And there goes the middle school girl's heart. I did not know that was part of this. No, no, he knows. He knows we all have that kind of heart in us that's fickle and volatile. He created the heart. He knows it's mercurial. He knows it can change on a, on a dime. In the Bible, if you read verses about the heart, you will see where it talks about grief and brokenness and joy and rage and jealousy, all these things that the human heart has. Think of your heart in the last calendar year, in the last 365 days. What emotions have you gone through? What joy? Have you gone through joy? Yes. Anger? Yes. Jealousy, anxiety. If we go down the list, doubt, jealousy, all these things, in one year we've run it all, haven't we? In one week we've run it all. I mean, our hearts are all over the place. Today, 9.52, some of you have already run the whole thing. 
So when he tells us to love him, to agape him with all of our heart, all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, our hearts are all over the place, Jesus. (laughs) So maybe it means when I give him my agape love, my selfish affection, no matter what I feel, my heart's going to feel all these things. What if the agape means that I love him no matter what I feel? That when I'm grieving, I love you, God. When I'm overjoyed, Father, I love you. When I'm brokenhearted and crushed, I still love you. When I'm angry and mistreated, I still love you. When I'm jealous and lacking or anxious and afraid, God, I still love you. The agape is so big that no matter my emotions, I can have a firm affection for him. That whatever emotion you have during the day, I would make a practice of declaring your love. Try this. As you go through your day and you come up against anger, declare your agape. God, I love you. I'm so livid right now at this, but I love you. When you're anxious, God, I'm anxious about this, but I love you. God, I'm really insecure. I'm really doubting. I am really broken. I'm really this. I'm really that. But I declare, I love you. In your emotion, declare that your agape is greater. I can't can't stress enough how vital it is that we begin to capture this part of it in our lives, this agape. We must begin to see that agape is greater than all of these things, all of our feelings, all of our circumstances. That agape can be and should be the foundation of our emotions. That when the hurricane of life and my emotions starts to spin, no matter how angry or hurt or anxious or sad or stressed or sleepless or sick, that I have a bedrock of agape that I know I still love my God. That agape over and under everything. There's something huge at work here. See, we have been trained by this world to let our faith be dictated by our emotions. I don't feel God. I don't feel God. I don't know if he's real. I don't feel like worshiping today. I don't feel like going to church today. I don't have the fuzzies. I don't feel him like I used to. I don't feel him like I did then. I I don't feel him in this song like I, I, our feelings are dictating the, the temperature of our faith. And we take these emotions of our heart, as fickle as they may be, and we put them in the engine. And we take our agape faith and we put it in the caboose. And before we know it, our emotions are leading our faith along. And if I don't feel good, my faith plummets. If I don't feel like worshiping God, I don't worship him. The reality is, is he still worthy to be worshiped? And does he deserve all of my worship and all of my life? And at the end of the day, did he not send his son? If I remind myself in the agape of all these things, oh God, I uh, worship you. But my emotions are leading the entire thing. They drive, and my affections are simply along for the ride. When I feel down, my faith is down. When I feel anxious, my agape just gets muted and small. When things are going well, well, I can praise easier. Thank you, God. When the Broncos win, he's real. (laughs) 
when they lose, why have you forsaken me? When relationships fail, when the doctor gives you a bad diagnosis, when you experience loss, when you have anxiety, if it's in the engine, it leads your faith. And we've all been there, haven't we? Where our faith is just getting wagged around at the back of this train that is out of control. We need to put the brakes on and say, regardless of my fleeting emotions and my volatile heart, my faith love, my agape for God will lead. God, I love you despite this over here. My affection is for you when my emotions are dead, when I'm exhausted, when I'm anxious. Father, you are bigger than my anxiety, and so I I trust in in you more than I trust in my anxiety. And this is the thing that happens um, when, when, when the... When anxiety pulls my agape, it leads me further into fear. When the engine of doubt pulls my faith, it leads it further into confusion. But, but here's the best part. When I switch them and my agape is leading, it pulls my anxiety into the presence of God where I can find peace. When my agape, when my faith is leading my emotions, I can I can pull my doubt into the presence of God and find purpose and find find meaning. When I am bitter and angry, my, my, my agape can pull that into the presence of God and I can find comfort. When I'm broken, no matter what I am in, in my emotions, if I'm letting my love and my affection for God lead, it can pull me to the presence of God and transform me. It might not transform the circumstance, but it transforms me. This principle, this principle, we have all been on both sides of this before, haven't we? We felt our faith just crumbling in, in, the, in the light of circumstances. Love the Lord God with all of your heart. And this is where we'll land. All, all of your heart. All of it. This challenges me so greatly. See, Psalm 86, 11 is a verse that I have memorized and I have carried with me throughout my life that is just a challenge to me. I've recited it a thousand times and it simply says this, give me an undivided heart. It's a prayer. God, give me an undivided heart so that therefore I can love you with all of my heart. God, give me an undivided heart. When I pray this prayer, I have a constant realization of the places where I am divided. Jesus gave himself so that we could have life. And we have accepted this, but instead oftentimes of returning our heart to him, we have divided our affections. Some of the things are good things. Some of the things that we have affection for are good. But when they're inappropriately placed in our life, they cease to be good. Some of these things are not good, they're sin. They're just plain and simple. But whether good or bad, if, if there are things in my life that have un- inappropriately captured my affection that should be to God, it's misplaced. It's not good for me anymore. Loving to recreate is not a, not a bad thing. But when I love, my love for recreation turns me into a bad father, can we all agree like, ah, might be a little bit out of bounds on that one? 
Yeah? And as silly as that is, like that, that's an example of, of inappropriate amounts of affection for something. Something that should go to my children is going toward my camping or skiing or whatever it would be. Fun things are good, but when they detract from the overall well-being of our faith, is it still good? We were in a growth group last week, and somebody in our growth group asked, when did society tell us that our children should be our idols? And I was, whoa. That we place so much, we inappropriately place things on our kids' lives. Our kids are great. But the affection for God should be appropriately given to him and love everybody else through that. Have you ever been in a relationship where you were wholehearted, but their heart was divided? Then you know the pain of this. And I'm going to open up and tell you a story today I haven't told in a while, and many of you may not, may not know this. Um, before my bride, Amy, who you all know here, I was married before in Atlanta, my other church where I was a pastor. And um, there are certain times in your life when things happen and you can recall the smells, the textures, the light, that you can recall everything from that moment. And I will never forget the day that I sat on our couch in our house in Lawrenceville, Georgia, as my then wife told me of being involved with somebody else. And I will never forget the moment where I said, did you kiss him? And she said, yeah. I said, what else? And she said, everything. I stood up off the couch. I don't know why. I just, I walked across the house and just fell. And I said, I am undone. I don't know why I said that, but that, it felt like my, I felt like I was coming apart. And I thought, there's surely no pain greater than this. I was ill prepared for the rest of the journey. <laughs> See, that pain, I, I could have written, well, maybe she made a mistake. You know, some, things happen. But as it turned out, I remember sitting there and saying, well, do you love him? And she said, yes. But then she said, but I love you too. <laughs> Men and women, we're not made for love you too, are we? We're not made for I love you too. This was one of the hardest moments I've ever faced. To the realization that my wife, there were parts of her heart that were unavailable to me. That there were parts of her affection that were not for me. They were for somebody else, not me. This was the most expensive lesson I've ever had in my life. It clarified for me the idea of loving God with a divided heart. Are there areas of my heart that aren't available to God? Are there affections that are meant for him that I give to something else and go, but I love you too? Do I love other things during the week and on Sunday for an hour and a half go, and I love you too? It clarified for me that he should have all of my affection. And we've all been here. Orchard, you may have some affection for God, but is part of your heart unavailable to him? 
Does your heart have any divide in it of affection that is not for him but for other loves, other things, yourself? I could barely stand the pain of it. He, he must be almighty God because I don't know how he would stand the pain of all that we have done because I know time after time I just feel this. I love you too. I should be saying all of me. All of me. All my affection, all of my life. It is all for you. I have no other loves. I have no other lovers. Me, all of me is yours. I remember sitting at the kitchen table a couple days later watching my wife on the phone as she broke up with him. And she hung up and wept and sobbed because of how hard it was for her to say goodbye. (laughs) And I just sat there and said, where is it? Where's your tears for me? And again, God has used this beautifully in my life. As time after time, I, I, as I repent of things, or, or there's times where things aren't good, I have to give up things. Am I weeping because I have to give up things? Or am I weeping because, God, I've wronged you, I'm so sorry? Are my tears true tears of repentance or tears that I have to say goodbye to something? How many times has God sat there and watched me cry over love's How often has God sat there and asked for your whole heart, an undivided heart, while we weep over our reputation, our kingdom, our work, our ambition, our secret pet sins, the selfish time that we have to ourselves, our desires for our lives, whatever it is you've elevated to the place that should be his. I can see now that I've told God, yes, yes, I love these things, but I love you too. And he would simply say to us, my son, do you love that, that vice, that addiction? Yeah, but I love you too. My daughter, do you, do you love that pet sin over there? Yeah, I do. I hate it, but I love it. But I love you too. My child, do you love your lifestyle more than me? And our lives ring out, yes, we do. But we love you too. Psalm 86, 11, God, give us an undivided heart a heart that is all yours, that is all yours. This word love, we use it so freely. Like I said, we, I love my wife and I love sushi. I love my church and I love Fridays. I love, the, I love, oh, I love so many things. Love. It's okay to love things, but the danger is when we love these things more than we should. And here, here's the deal. We come to God and we say, Lord, I, this, you've given me a new heart in salvation. You've given me a new heart. This is my heart. You've redeemed it. You've given me a new heart of flesh, a good heart. But I, I really love that people like me. I, I really love that. And, and, and I really have a lot of things I want to do in my life, and I have a lot of ambition that, I mean, we'll get to the, that stuff, Jesus, but I, I really love what I'm carving out over right here. And... Um, this, this spouse or romantic interest, I really love them. And, and I know it's misappropriating to put the heart I should have for you into them, but, but it, I do whatever it takes to make it work, right? And, and, and so, I, you understand, I'm married, I, I love them, right? Yeah? And, and this, this stuff right here, it's so fun. This is the stuff that I do that, these are my, 
my pet sins and no one knows about them and, and I've drifted into some of this stuff and, um, but I'm not really, I'm not really willing, ready to give this up yet. But we, I'm sure I will, God. And then this, lastly, this, this is, well, this isn't selfish. This is just my me time. You know, I, I go to church and I do that, but, but, you know, after, I just have me time where it's, it's just kind of for me and, and so, and so, God, I love you. I love you with all that I have in my hand, I love you. With all the heart that I have left, I just give it to you. And I wonder then why this Christianity thing doesn't feel like I think it should. Why it's not working, quote unquote, the way it should. I wonder where the power is that God promises in the Bible. Where's the peace that God promises in the Bible? Where, where are the things, where, God, where are the things? And he says, my son, my daughter, I want all of you. I want all of your heart. I want undivided, agape, all that you are. All of me is what God, God desires. And for many of us today, it might be just a question of where am I divided? Where do I have some different pieces? Where am I telling God I love you too? I love this, but I love you too. And Orchard, let's be known as a people who have wrestled through these things. We have, we have faced ourself and the ugliness of it head on with Jesus' grace. No condemnation in Christ. The Bible's clear on that. Just conviction. Don't be condemned. Be convicted to come forward and change. Repent means to change and do things differently. Let's be a church that faces these things head on and is challenged by the, by the idea that we, as a people, will love God with all of our heart. We will have undivided hearts. What would undivided hearts, hearts fully given to God, what would that look like in today's society? What would that look like in your job, in your house? What would that look like in your life with your anxieties and your things that you're going through? What would that change? God is looking for a people to raise up and say, all of me. He's waiting for people to raise up and say, all of me. All my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength, and I will love everyone, God. No matter what gender or color or orientation or voting, I will love everyone the way you love me. We do that, we will see his kingdom move in power. Orchard, let's be the people that say all of me. So today as we close, let us have moments with God where we come forward to, to take um, offering or to take uh, communion, which is the symbol of his body and blood broken for us. And if you're a guest here today, we have an open table. You can come. And as you get the, the cup and the bread, that you would pray, Father, Jesus, this is how much the great lengths you went through to, to, to love me. Forgive me for my other loves and other lovers. Forgive me for letting my emotions run my faith. I choose agape to love you with all my heart. Amen? Amen. May it be so, Jesus. Jesus, we pray you hear our hearts this morning. Father, draw us to be a church who loves you wholeheartedly. We love you, Jesus, with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. Amen.